Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode of Gen C is sponsored by Chainalysis. Welcome to Gen C. Gen C is Generation Crypto. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how Web2 and Web3 brands are building for these audiences. I'm Sam Ewan from Coindesk, and our co-host is Avery Akinini from Vayner3. All right, Avery, great to see you. I know you are just coming off the heels of VCon. That's going to be kind of the theme of the entire episode as we talk later with Andy Cranach from vFriends, who's going to tell us a little bit more about the inside scoop on what happened at vFriends, which just ended recently. So really excited to hear that. As usual, I need to know because this is a different background. So where are we today? I'm actually at Patau today, which is a marketers group, which is super fun. So I'm here in California. Very excited for it. I'm heading tonight off to Amsterdam for a Web3 collaboration event that we're doing with our partners at Red Bull Doodle Art. So super excited for that. It's been a very busy week and I'm pumped for Memorial Day weekend where I'm going to just chill. How about you, Sam? What is up in New York? New York is great. There's a nice vibe. It's a little bit of crisp, which I love. Memorial Day weekend is one of the best weekends in New York because everyone leaves. And so it means like if you want to get a table at Carbone, there's sometimes available. You can like have a great New York experience because everyone that takes up all of the energy in the city gets out. And I just love the fact of kind of being in New York when there's holidays that people leave. So pretty excited about that. You're going to Amsterdam. I hope you enjoy some bitter ballin (laughs) on a canal somewhere. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. Let's talk about what's going on in our industry before we interview Andy. So Avery, Bitcoin is now the second largest chain for NFTs. Some stats just recently came out. Last month, they did $167 million in gross sales. That's compared to about $400 million for Ethereum. So it's still not, I would say, like a direct direct competitor, but we are seeing so much energy happening on the Bitcoin side of NFTs. I also think just to frame it for our audience, because I think our audience, if you're more brand focused, you know, you're probably spending a lot of your time in the ETH ecosystem. But Bitcoin is by far, the, you know, it's the largest chain, it's the largest asset, but also as a share of attention, because I do a lot of trend analysis on Google, it's still about three times any other blockchain in terms of how much people search or interested in. So I think it's actually a big deal that Bitcoin and the Bitcoin sort of maxis are leaning into ordinals and other Bitcoin NFTs and kind of treating it not just as a store of value, but as a payments network and now as a collectible network. I think you mentioned on one podcast recently, you guys were exploring potentially doing something on Bitcoin with one of your clients. 
does it come up still or is it still ETH all day? We were exploring doing something when the ordinals craze was very hot. We decided ultimately not to do it. The idea was like be the first brand to do something on ordinals. Ultimately decided against it for a couple of different reasons. And it comes up from time to time. I think for us, we are considering Bitcoin more as like a currency and a payment method for brands who are starting to think about taking crypto. In the financial services sector, you absolutely can't ignore it. But for NFTs, it hasn't come up a ton. We have considered it. I mean, the Stacks community is a real thing, but we've been mostly focused on the Ethereum ecosystem for now, just because of the you know size of the community and all of that. But closely following what's happening with the Bitcoin ecosystem. Unfortunately, I missed Bitcoin Miami because I was a VCon, but I want to catch up with some folks who went there to see if NFTs were a hot topic. What's your take, Sam? From what I was tracking from BTC Miami, that there was a lot of conversation about it. Some of the insiders we know there kind of said, it's been kind of really energizing that community. For anyone who doesn't know, the Bitcoin community, Bitcoin is like a religion to them. Like it is really so kind of part of their character and their culture. Bitcoin Miami feels a little bit like, you know, the equivalent of going to kind of this, I'm not going to go cult, but I'm going to say like a kind of a, it's a quasi-religious experience. It's a lot of fun for that reason also, because people are, there's like all walks of life are there. But I do think there's a lot of excitement on the fact that Bitcoin is expanding its footprint of how it impacts all these different areas. And I mean, I got into the ecosystem by, you know, running a Bitcoin miner out of my agency office in late 2013. So I'm full Bitcoin for quite a long time now. So I'm interested quite a bit to see where it's going. I agree with you. I'm not sure the commercial lane is there. And at, you know, $27,000 per Bitcoin, it's a different and also financial commitment for a lot of these projects. But I'm definitely excited to see where that will go. For our next story, I do want to talk a little bit about alternative browsers. So most people utilize Chrome or maybe Firefox. I've been spending a lot of time on Arc browser recently, which I kind of really love. And it's very different in how it sort of comes across as a browsing experience. And I think there's a lot of tools there. And I've also spent a ton of time with the Brave browser, which is a little bit more of a Web3 forward browser. But at one point had raised a ton of money, had a good amount of monthly usage. And they just came out with something which I thought was super cool that I wanted to get your opinion on, which is the idea that they have a product. It's called Brave Talk. And it's basically a Zoom competitor. And what they just allowed is the opportunity where you don't have to put like a password in to get into a Zoom. You can actually token gate it so that if you had a community and you want to say, hey, anyone who wants to join, cool, connect wallet, you get to get in. I thought there was something really cool from just a use case perspective of the idea of how you can make something feel special for your community, because you can just say, as long as you have the token, you can get into this private call. I think it just came out, so I don't think we've probably had any time to really spend with it, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the idea of just seeing more and more token-gated experiences. I love it. I love token-gated experiences, and I love the fact that creators can always add more onto what their NFT can unlock and can do. NFTs are a forever game if you want them to be, so I think that that makes so much sense. You know, We're both big fans of Fonz and what he's building with Token Proof, and we've had him on before. I love building that directly into the browser so it's super easy and enables people to just have discounts or access ahead of folks. I know that's a major use case that we really just haven't seen at scale yet, but we look forward to. You bring up a great point, the creator opportunity, and it doesn't have to just be Web3 creators. The fact is you can do this with a POAP, right? So you could have an event, scan a QR code, get a POAP, that gets you into the call. And by saying you get the exclusive opportunity to hang with me, talk with me, meet with me, whatever it may be, listen to me rant, 
there's something special of being a part of that community and understanding that this collectible is the thing that gives me access seems paramount. So I agree. I think it's a great opportunity. All right. The final thing we spent a lot of time, I think, talking about interesting use cases for Web3. This one caught my eye and definitely put a smile on my face because it's the Professional Bowlers League. Now, I don't know if you know this. I'm not sure if you're a big bowler, Avery. I'm not. But 300,000 members are part of the Professional Bowlers League. And they have a deal that they just announced that they're doing with Avalanche, where as being a member, they're going to automatically airdrop you sort of these achievements, which are soulbound tokens. So for anyone who doesn't know, a soulbound token isn't a token that you can't trade. It stays with you and your identity. But the idea is like your first 200 point game, you'll get a, you know, commemorative, if you will, certificate that Avery on this date bowled a 200 point game. Every time you do a perfect game in bowling, which is, I believe, 300 points, it'll also send you those. So they're looking at all these different achievements that are going to be kind of airdropped to you just by being part of the PBA. And it was just, to me, a really fun use case, you know, kind of reminds me a little bit of the driver's license stuff we were talking about many episodes ago that Tezos is doing with California. Any thoughts of like, you know, just sort of putting assets on chain that are really just kind of fun ways to get people into Web3, whether they know it or not? Yeah, I love it. I think that that is a really fun, lightweight use case. And it reminds me of what some brands are starting to do with their employee awards on chain as well. So actually just talking to some folks at Starbucks who just did that. Um, Maybe we should have them on the pod to sort of share how they're bringing those types of achievements on chain. All right, Avery. Well, look, I want to get us to our guest, Andy Cranach, head of vFriends. VCon just happened. Seemed like it was a great success. Really excited to hear what he's saying. So after the break, we'll be right back with Andy and we'll see you there. Web3 offers budding opportunities for brands to create more value for their customers, engage fans, and build immersive community. But that doesn't come without its risks. Chainalysis helps Fortune 500 brands better understand and manage the risks in Web3 through proactive assessments, on-chain monitoring, investigations, training, and more, so that they can focus on building a roadmap for long-term growth. Learn more about how Chainalysis can help your company grow in Web3 at chainalysis.com slash gen C. Andy Kay, thank you for joining us on Gen C. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for the invite, Avery. Happy to be here. You're one of my favorite people to interview, which I guess I've only done twice. The first time was last year at VCon, which was actually one of the most popular sessions. It was a packed house. So we wanted to do a little encore of that and bring you on to Gen Z to share a little bit of your story and a little bit about VCon with our listeners on Coindesk. So as we get started, Andy, can you tell us a little bit about you? How did you become the president of vFriends? Yes, absolutely. My claim to fame, if you will, was that I tweeted Gary V almost 11 years ago. I went to Virginia Tech. At Virginia Tech, I had to watch his Wine Library TV videos. And throughout that, I started following Gary. I started seeing him talking more about marketing, social media marketing. And I decided to shoot my shot and tweet him and ask for an internship. He responded, told me to email him. And uh, I got my internship. I managed book sales for him, his book, Jab, 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 Right Hook. And ever since then, I've just been working alongside him, growing his media and content team, Team Gary V, as they're called. And how did you go from Team Gary into this role now? Like, can you tell us a little bit about the origin story of how you decided to take on this new challenge with vFriends? Yeah, you know, I was at a transitionary point in my career as brand director for Gary and his content team. 
And I told him I wanted a different career path. And so we started brainstorming. He actually was thinking about creating a sneaker company. And I wasn't so sure that we should do sneakers, but we had agreed that I was going to do one more year and then we would decide on a different career path for myself. Three weeks later, I got a phone call from him at like midnight talking about crypto punks and NFTs and that they're the future of the internet and collectability. And so I just started going to rabbit hole. You know, when Gary has his spidey senses tingling, I generally try to pay attention as do a lot of other people around him. So I just started studying everything I could about NFTs and blockchain technology. I was still pretty new to the space. And we just started going back and forth. And he told me that he was going to launch an NFT project and that he wanted me to help run it with him. And I took a step back for a second and tried to evaluate what he had just said. But it seemed like a great, great opportunity where I could get a lot of exposure to a new space, but also lean into the skill set that I think I'm best at, which is storytelling and character development with Gary's vision. Andy. First of all, thanks for coming on and great to meet you. I think it's the first time we're actually meeting directly. I'm just interested, actually, if we rewind for a second. You said, like, you were at school, you shoot your shot 11 years ago. What was it about his message? And I'm thinking more broader. Like, I've been noticing this interesting transition where we're now calling influencers key opinion leaders, right? So KOLs now is kind of like what people are referring. But there's a lot of different levels of that, right? There's people who are just loud on Twitter and have a big audience. And then there's people who are, like, making big moves. Gary's someone who's made a lot of moves for a decade plus now. What was it about his message that resonated with you that made you say, this is where I want to attach my career? Because I'm sure both for you and for Avery, it's not a linear job, right? There's probably a lot of calls at midnight from Gary saying, hey, we should be doing this. I'm interested in kind of what was your excitement around working in maybe a little bit more of a non-traditional way. And had you been studying things in school that also related to this, that you felt you were a good fit for it? Yeah. Totally. And nice to uh, speak with you too, Sam. When I was watching Gary's videos, talking specifically about social media marketing, I hadn't yet heard someone so clearly articulate the power of what he was seeing that was going to revolutionize marketing and Web2. Just like with Web3 and NFTs, I think he does a really good job breaking it down into layman terms. And he's just such a powerful communicator and has such a thoughtful approach and intuition onto where he sees things going. I literally just remember watching one video from him called A Rant from the Hip Head and Heart. He's on a plane and he just pressed record on his laptop recording straight to the camera. And it's just so raw and authentic. But the things that he was saying were really powerful about how he was thinking he was going to be able to build a huge business and hopefully maybe one day achieve his lifetime goal of trying to buy the New York Jets. But it came down to a combination of the way he was communicating and what he was communicating about and really being able to simplify the advent of technology and and the revolution that we were living through with Web2 and now with Web3. And Andy, it's always so complimentary and you're always so humble, which is one of the reasons that you're so beloved, not just in the Vayner family, but also by the vFriends community. But you and I both know that Gary doesn't do this alone. You are such a huge part of actually not just shaping the vision, but making that vision become a reality. Can you talk a little bit about what happened as the idea went from that spark in Gary's mind of workplace warriors become fee friends, and then how you know you all sort of built in that utility, which I continue to think is like just so far ahead of its time in the strategy and the layering of how multidimensional vFriends really is. Shout out you name dropping workplace warriors. It's a fun ode to Gary's vision for vFriends, which was pre-COVID, I think it was 2019, fall of 2019, we were brainstorming this concept of workplace warriors, which were essentially just going to be tchotchkes that you could put on your desk 
as you were working, you could see you know, the elephant or all these different characters. COVID happened, that idea quickly got shut down. And then since then, when Gary started brainstorming what he wanted to create with VFriends, first it was the name. You know, I have some funny text threads with him where he's going back and forth on different names. He said VFriends, and I just responded like, I really like that brand name. I think it resonates. It still has the Gary V-ism to it, but I think it could be applicable to a wider audience. Flash forward after we aligned on the name and we bought the domain and URL, he took a week off and we went to California to create VFriends. He drew all the characters. We had a list of, you know, 200, 300 different animals, as well as 200 to 300 different traits and qualities that we knew Gary resonated with. And we would just throw them up on the wall, like empathy. And he would look at different animals and try to decide which one he wanted. And then if I or anyone else in the room said a character they really liked and thought worked well, he would say, I don't want that one. Because it was just really important for him to have it be from his vision and creation, which I can respect. After we sort of mapped out a lot of the characters, we had started to talk more and more about what's the value of owning a V-Friend. And that's when we got into every V-Friend, all 10,255 being admission to an annual conference known as VCon. And at that point in time, when he's describing, I'm going to throw a conference, which is being a combination of South by Southwest meeting Coachella, meeting Davos. <laughs> I was trying to simmer him down a little bit. Like those are high aspirations, but that was the core value. And that's sort of how we priced a friend. Gary hit up Zach Nadler, who's the CEO of Vayner Speakers and is well-versed in all things conferences to do some homework and due diligence on what the price is for some of these comparable conferences and how he would price it if it was going to be admission to that conference for three years in a row. So that was the floor price of every VFriend was what do we think is the value that we could provide to come to VCon for three years. Aside from that, something else that Gary was really bullish on was giving access to time. He talks a lot about like the Taylor Swifts or the other Justin Bieber's, the other huge popular culture figures in the world today that a lot of their fans don't necessarily just want the limited merch or access to the concert. They want access to something that money can't buy. They want to go to the studio with them and see how Taylor made the song. They want to go to Justin's house and play basketball with him. Once in a lifetime experiences. So Gary created 33 different access tokens for himself. There's a podcast panther, which can allow you access on Gary's podcast. There's five basketball butterflies, which allow you to play pick up basketball with Gary. And all of that was one reverse engineering things that Gary really likes to do. Gary does like to have people on his podcast. He likes playing basketball, so it's going to be easy for him. But he also really wanted to create a blueprint. I'm surprised today if you would have asked me in 2021 around the level or rather the amount of influencers or celebrities that have NFT projects related to access to them. I thought there would have been a lot more based on where we were in 2021. But all of that to say, Gary's vision with these access tokens and access to VCon with VFriends was how he was seeing the utility of NFTs take place and how you can use blockchain technology to drive utility. So Andy, I want to get down into like some specifics because I think this is where it gets interesting as you guys were designing out the model and then as you're executing on the model. Year two just finished. It sounded like from people who were there, it was an amazing experience. I unfortunately couldn't go because I had a family engagement. Next year, Sam. Yes, exactly. Definitely coming next year. But, you know, I think I heard from a lot of people, one, just like, which I think, frankly, is very different than the Web3 audience, that your audience has like a ton of heart, right? They're really there for each other. They really feel a lot more communal. 
And I think that, you know, you tend to go to these cities where you are probably the most important thing happening that moment in the city also, right? Indianapolis is not known as like the cultural epicenter and a dissing of Indianapolis. But I think it's like, you guys probably like really took over the city and have that where everyone there felt like they were part of the tribe was coming together. I'm just wondering now when you look at it, you talked about it's three-year experience, year two just finished. You have one more year on the current. How are you guys thinking about one next year? And then thinking through this community that you started, you're not going to, I'm assuming, just shut it down, right? So like what happens? Is there an evolution that you started to think about for the V community? Absolutely. Yeah. I think last year, VCon 2022, we were trying to figure out what VCon is, you know, like we're transplanting Gary's brain and his ethos and his values into a NFL stadium. What does that look like? How does it feel? What are the activations? What type of speakers? What is the programming? This year, I think we knew what it was. And this year was about defining what it could be. I think this year we really, really executed on the vision of VCon, what it could be and the level of respect, notoriety that it could have from our attendees, from our partners and from our speakers. And I think ideally next year, 2024 is what VCon should be. I tweeted that I have a goal that I want maximum attendance at VCon next year, which is why we need you there, Sam. It's going to be a 10,255. That's the total number of VFriend Series 1s. That's the total number of tickets that we could have at VCon. And of course, the burning question within the VFriends community, and generally I would say now with the Web3, is what happens post-2024? We haven't officially announced anything formal, but I have said and shared that I think we put too much resources and expertise into building out this conference that it wouldn't make sense for us to discontinue it. We just want to be thoughtful of how we're continuing it with the VFriends community and our Series 1 holders in mind. Andy, do you remember what happened five years ago, the conference we had then? Exactly five years ago, it was VoiceCon. VoiceCon. Yep, VoiceCon. Shout out to VoiceCon. That actually popped into my Instagram memories on Monday, and I was like, wow, (laughs) blast from the past. Wait, what was VoiceCon? You had to be there. If you are one of the lucky attendees at VoiceCon, (laughs) you will know what I'm talking about. But the reason I bring that up is... Because Gary continues to evolve his community, his focus, and I think the things that are the constant are his network of friends and relationships who really helped make VCon super special this year, and his dedication to his community and his dedication to innovation and always being on that tip of the spear, which and I know is a reason you and I both love working with Gary is you're always getting those calls at odd hours with a big idea. And, you know, a lot of them don't end up coming to fruition, but sometimes they do. And when he hits, I think he hits really big. What is one thing that you wish that more people knew about VCon? It's a really good question. I would say that I wish everyone understood that to really understand what VCon is and generally what the VFriends community is, you have to experience it in person. You know, I had the privilege of inviting my mother and my aunt to VCon this year. I told them they couldn't come last year. I was too anxious about producing the event and making sure everything was running smoothly. I've worked for Gary for almost 11 years now. It was the first time she ever came to any sort of event related to my work or Gary V. And she was blown away by the values of the community and how everyone was so friendly and just how cool VCon was. And you know, another thing with VCon is it's really unlike any other conference just because of the amount of different topics and verticals and industries it touches. It's not just a Web3 conference. It's not just a mindset conference. It's not just a business conference. It's all of them, all in one. And the only way you're really able to produce such an event with those type of attendees is not because of the VFriends community, I would say. It's actually because Gary's been creating a community for the last 10 years 
with these values and this ethos. And I think it takes a long time to be able to instill those values in a community at scale that he's done. Andy, seeing from afar, it feels like that spirit comes through in what you guys are doing, everything from who you're inviting on stage to kind of how the audience is involved in the experience. I know you guys also bring a ton of fun to the experience, which I think is something that people under index, I think, on large events. I would love to talk a little bit on the business side of like, you guys, you're kind of unique in how you do your tickets, right? Like we do NFT tickets, but it's such a small portion of the people who come to consensus because we also have to pay for a big event, right? You guys have kind of front loaded a lot of your expenses on VCon, it would seem. And then you're rolling it out of multiple years because correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't all tickets an airdrop to the existing community? And so could you like just go through how the ticketing component works and how does the community like sort of get involved in how they think about, you know, are they selling because they want other people there? Are they selling because they want money? Like what's the dynamic involved in that? Yeah, absolutely. So we made the decision last year that instead of having the VFriends NFTs themselves be the ticket, we would airdrop new tickets. And that was because we have a VCon ticketing app where you're gonna have to connect your wallet and it wasn't gonna be conducive to having NFTs on a cold wallet, which a lot of VFriends series ones are. So we wanted to think about safety and security. So we decided to airdrop VCon tickets. And with that, not only is the VCon ticket admission to VCon, but it's also a digital collectible. You know, VCon 2022 tickets were collaborative artwork created by Gary and Snowcrow, who's awesome. And I know that I'll never touch or sell or do anything with that inaugural VCon ticket. I think it's really memorable and cool and cool and iconic. And with this year too, we airdropped the 10,255 tickets. Right now, the ticket itself is actually a game that you can play, a VCon Viper game. We are going to reveal a collaborative artwork with another artist later this summer, which will just, again, be another cool way that people can hold on to that digital collectible that was also a ticket into the conference this year. So just to go deeper on that, and again, we run Consensus, it's a big endeavor, right? So we totally get what that looks like. Was the original vision of this that, to your point, you would sell this three-year pass for a certain price, and then really you're just amortizing those costs over it? Because I do think there's a lot of Web3 communities that bring a ton of money at the launch, and they think they're going to do all these things. And then it's kind of hard to think of like, oh, actually next year when you don't have as much money coming in because you didn't do another drop. Like, did you guys really plan it out financially as well like that? so that you were ensuring to deliver an experience of quality. I think that's something that would be just really interesting as advice for other people trying to build this thing, right? How did you have to think of the business side of a three-year experience where most of your revenue is coming on that first day? In short, I would say to a degree, right? Like we had forecasting models on how much we think we were gonna generate from series one and series two. With series one, actually, I don't think everyone knows this. We actually think, Gary yells at our CTO, Eric, a bunch about this when he wants to be upset about something. When we launched, we had a reverse Dutch auction. So every second of Refront Series 1 was lowering in price. There was a bug with the MetaMask, which was uh, setting the gas at an extremely high rate and sort of spooked everyone out. And they were watching the Refronts go in price. And then in short, it took us almost a month to sell out Refront Series 1. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah which is crazy to think about because in, you know, four months later, like the average price for a friends was like the price of a car. So we did financial modeling and we were projecting like, what would it be for VCon one, two, and three and how we were going to sustain that model. And of course, as is the nature with any business, things change and we pivot and we're grateful for the partners that we had for this year. And, and we're very excited about how we can continue to build the brand and uh, notoriety of VCon and also 
as a business for VFriends. Annie, let's talk a little bit about some of the partners who activated because obviously I'm biased, but I think this was probably the most thoughtful series of brand activations at a Web3 enabled conference. Can you share a little bit about you know how those came to be, what some of them were, maybe your favorites? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, with VaynerX's support and your support, Avery, we were able to get a lot of partners and sponsors involved at VCon this year, which we're grateful for. Personal favorites, you know, I'm always thrilled to have Coinbase back. They took over our speaker lounge again this year, which was similar to what they did last year. I think it's a great opportunity for them and their brand. Uh, Mattel, selfishly, I think was amazing to have. They had a Barbie activation. We had an Uno tournament. We had Hot Wheels. And it was just really cool to see all the different IPs and activations that they had for the VFriends and VCon community take part in. Lids was a partner for ours, which was really, really cool. Their activation had a line, I think every day, VFriends holders could go to Lids and get a custom cap with a character, a VFriends character they're choosing sewn onto their cap. So that was really cool. Gala Music, shout out Gala Music. I thought their activation was really cool. There was 24 different artists who recorded a song in their studio booth on the main stage level at VCon. And one artist was voted upon to perform their song on the main stage at VCon and is actually going to get a music deal with Gala Music. So that's really notable. And aside from that, from all the other partners, I just thought it was really cool to see the diversity of activations that they had and the types of different audiences that they were trying to target, which is something that's really important, not just to Gary and myself, but our community at large. Who did the big slide? Because that was the thing I kept seeing, and that's the thing I was most jealous about. <laughs> the slide, shout out Miling Chow and Saban Nather. That came from their minds. No one sponsored the slide, although I was shooting for Instagram or a different social platform to be sliding into the DMs for it. <laughs> but that was just created by VFronts. And you guys had some amazing speakers. I saw Drew Barrymore was there. I saw a ton of business leaders came, a lot of folks from the Web3 community. Can you just tell us some of the highlights of the speakers and how the audience responded to them? Absolutely. We had, I think, over 200 speakers at VCon. So much talent, so much diversity. One of my favorites was Jesse Isler. Jesse Isler broke the stage last year. I had so many DMs from grown men telling me that Jesse made them cry, that his talk changed their life. It was really important to me selfishly that I wanted to try to get him back this year. He took the main stage right after Gary at VCon and his talk was very, very memorable, I think for all attendees. And aside from that, it's tough to pick a favorite. I really loved all of them. Let's see, I'm trying to name drop a couple. Tim Tebow, got a lot of love. Eric Thomas, I really enjoyed my panel with Luca Nets from Pudgy Penguins. I have a lot of respect for Luca. I think he's a beast. I think what he's building with Pudgy Penguins is very admirable and I think he's gonna go really far there. Having the VFriends team have their own panel was selfishly important for me. That was cool to be able to present to the VFriends community. Eric Cauldron, the CEO of Artblocks, did his own panel and he actually gave away a Chromey Squiggle as a surprise to someone who drew the best squiggle at field day. Yeah, really, really sick. He's Eric, I couldn't talk highly enough about Eric and Artblocks. As I mentioned before, he did the artwork VCon 2022, which people have mixed feelings about the decision we've had to make them do, which is we announced a collaboration with Snoop Dogg last VCon. The collaboration unfolded that if you wanted to partake in our collaboration with Snoop Dogg, you have to burn your VCon 2022 
our Black Snowfro Gary V Anavra Vicon ticket to take part. So some people are like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to have to burn it. And of course, our answer is like, that's the decision. That's the game that you have to play. So some people have decided to burn, I think maybe 3,000. I can't remember the exact number of the collection of the Please Take a Step Back collection NFT drop we did with Snoop Dogg. People own that NFT now, and there's going to be other activations on a platform called Burn Island, where people are going to have to burn that Snoop Dogg NFT to take part in trivia and other games to win prizes. So it was a really cool opportunity to collaborate with Art Blocks and Snowfro, but also bring in one of the biggest living legends in the world, Snoop Dogg, into the friends world. Yeah, and I love that that continuity between VCons like, helps kind of keep the community engaged. There's always something... Burn Island is just one of the many like dimensions of the VFriends ecosystem. And I'm excited for the reveal for the tickets. Andy, what do you think your big takeaways are coming off of VCon 2023? And any things that you know you are like fresh in your mind, we just wrapped up that you want to make sure happen at VCon 2024? You know, it's funny, it's the exact same feeling I had as last year. It's such a monumental task for every VFriend staff member to be able to put on VCon successfully, where you sort of have this goalpost in mind of like, we can just successfully walk away from VCon and everyone's happy and safe. We've done a great job and then I can take a rest. Both VCons now, I walk away feeling more motivated, more energized and ready to like get to work immediately just because I get so much positive reinforcement on what we're building, what we're focused on at VFriends. The two or three biggest things I've seen that I think we're going to really, really think about and strategize on for VCon next year is one, how we can include more family dynamics, whether it's a specific stage focused on families or if there's a specific area and activity so that individuals can bring their kids. I think we're really going to give thought to that. Two is food, you know, taking over stadiums, the concourses and the stadium food is nachos and hot dogs and pretzels and things of that nature. And, and people generally want healthier, cleaner options. It becomes challenging when you look at the economics of like how you can bring food in the stadium. So we have some real homework to do on what we think will be best there programming wise. And then lastly, with the help of Zach Nadler and the rest of the VCon team, I think we'll be able to figure out people want more access to the speakers. You know, they get to hear Tim Tebow or they get to hear Avery or they get to hear Jesse Isler for 30 minutes, share all their lessons and insights, but they're all craving a selfie or an autograph or an additional Q&A session. So we're going to get to work on thinking how we can extend speaker time or even put out an ask to some of the speakers to see if they could do a little Q&A or or one-on-one selfie station with some of the attendees. Yeah, consensus this year, a lot of our big speakers had an AMA stage for them specifically so that we could get like the audience involvement. I think that's a great idea. I mean, meet and greets are so popular and it seemed like, I mean, Gary, I can't imagine how many photos he took specifically. I was seeing them everywhere, but it seems like your audience, yeah, like loves that community element. I have a question, which is really, I mean, maybe it's an existential one, but you know, you guys were happening exact same time Bitcoin Miami was. And the only thing I thought that was interesting about that was y'all are not worried about the crypto crowd, right? In that respect, because like you wouldn't necessarily compete with them. And I think in the same way that they don't really do very much on culture, they don't really do much on art. They don't really do much on that kind of entrepreneurial inspiration. My question is more existentially. You know, your audience, have you done any analytics? Like, are they more Web3 forward or are they more like entrepreneurship and like self, like sort of better themselves? Never has anyone ever said we need more family events at a crypto conference. So I think that's also like a really like different way to look at it, which is something that probably makes you guys a little more special and unique to any other event out there. Like we've had people come to consensus 
And they're like, can I bring my 16 year old kid? And we're like, we just don't know if we have insurance for that. Right. So there's so many things that come up. The big question is, yeah, like, do you guys see yourself as like a Web3 event or do you see yourselves really as a cultural movement that happens to have Web3 as like part of the experience? The latter. And I say that with humility, but also ambition that I think I would like to see vFriends garner more respect and notoriety for what we are doing in Web3. You know, what we are doing with VCon ticketing, what we are doing with Burn Island. I was watching a clip, shout out Carly Riley on her podcast, Overpriced JPEGs, where they mentioned that vFriends, I'm not sure what blockchain analytics company it was, but they ran some math and they saw that of all NFT Web3 projects, vFriends were identified as the most loyal, meaning the people that minted it have held onto it and that it hasn't moved from their wallet. And that rung true to me. And it's because, you know, we are <laughs> this movement of global positivity and accountability and, and kindness. And people aren't there to day trade or make flips or things that nature. They're there because they believe in what we're building and they want to be a part of the community for the long term. You know, and Vicon has Web3 elements to it, but it's a business conference with elements of popular culture and innovation and technology. And I think the challenge that we're excited to bridge the gap on now is how else can we include programming for kids as vFriends is going to garner more attention and awareness with creating content for kids too. It'll be interesting to see uh, from Gary down to the top, from myself and others, how we want to program vCon to be for kids as well and families. I love that. And Sammy, you brought up a great point that like, I didn't even cross my mind until multiple people brought it up to me that it was the same time as Bitcoin Miami. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess that is. But like, that was like not even a thing. I I mean, I didn't ever talk to Gary about it as an example, because it's such a like limited overlap of, you know, folks who would want to attend both. Andy, there was such an amazing programming strategy this year from field day on Thursday to Friday being a little bit more business centric, be friends hearing from a lot of business leaders. We're talking like CEOs and CMOs and CXOs, and then Saturday being a lot of like the who's who of Web3. Can you talk about maybe some of your favorite speakers? And in particular, be awesome to hear your perspective on Gary's closing speech, which I've seen a lot of Gary's talks over the years, and I thought that was like the best. It was just so genuine and so not what people were expecting, but what they ultimately needed and loved. Gary, when he's giving talks for the most part, and I've never seen anyone else do this. He's a really unique individual. He'll go to the conference and just ask the conference host a little bit more about the audience, who the audience is, who he's talking to, and just go straight on stage and just riff and spit fire and do what Gary Vee does best for the next 45 minutes. At VCon this year, I don't think he really had a set. He didn't have his mind made up about what he wanted to talk about. You know, he didn't know if he wanted to talk about vFriends or innovation or AI. So instead, what he did was he just texted his community to send in video questions for him to answer. And I thought the format was really good. They played the video questions submitted by his community on stage. And one by one, he just answered a bunch of questions. He also maybe, despite the advice of some of us, gave the advice that he encourages kids to go punch other kids in the face because we need more adversity in schools. I saw some funny uh, quotes from friends community orders and that, but he said it in jest. Um, but yeah, Gary's talk was really cool. And again, I think the thing I'm most proud of with VCon and what we're building is just the array of talent. Like when you look at the different types of panels we had, you have to be taken aback the fact that like the CMO of Bose is on the stage with Ferocious, you know, or that Eric Cauldron is talking at the same time as Tim Tebow. 
you know, it's so unique in the way we're pulling from different industries. And it's why I think it's such a notable event that we're going to continue to build on in the future. Go punch your great grandparents in the face. Yeah. <laughs> that was also part of it. <laughs> Do not punch family members or school chums in the face. Um, my final question for you, Andy, is if someone else, and there's a lot of people I think who listen to this, both on the brand side and in the Web3 side, who are looking to architect meaningful experiences for their brands, what are your takeaways? I don't think they're going to do it at the scale you're doing it. And also, I think they don't have Gary behind them, right? But there is some commonality, I think, in what you guys build that people can really learn from. What are like the top two or three things that you think people need to think about as they're architecting these experiences? And if you were to do it again, you know, what would you do differently in order to solve another challenge that maybe came up while you were designing? What can our listeners learn from maybe the mistakes and the successes that VFriends has had in now throwing two big conferences that they may be able to apply to how they think about creating and connecting with community? I think one would be to make sure you're very clear about the intent of the activation or conference. You know, your roadmaps, your plans, all those things will 100% change. But if you're clear on what your goal and mission and intent will be, you can always adjust to make sure that you're aligning with that. Two would be to try to, to the best of your ability, put yourself in the shoes of the consumers. You're going to have to make a lot of different decisions when it comes to programming, when it comes to partner activations, when it comes to ticketing, apparel, merchandise, food choices, everything that goes into the event. It's very easy to make decisions based on how you're feeling as a business decision maker at that point in time versus how attendees are going to be feeling when they're experiencing that event or conference. And then lastly, I would say the biggest and most important thing, in my opinion, that we really achieved last year with Beacon was giving flowers and respect and really great hospitality to all of our speakers. It makes me so proud and humble to be able to see the, the speakers that we have this year and last year give creds to Beacon you know, because there's a lot of different people from other projects and other walks of life. And to be able to see them tweet that like VCon was the best conference that they've ever been to, or VCon took so well care of them and their team means the world. And I think it really builds the brand of VCon and to really, really treat the speakers and talent that you have coming to your event, it'll pay dividends, even if it costs you a little bit more money on the upfront. Amazing. Yeah, Andy, thank you so much for sharing your time, your insights, a little peek into the curtain to hear about how amazing VCon was and just how much work and dedication and strategy and agility it takes to pull off something of that magnitude, not just once, but twice. To say it's come a long way in five years and you've been a massive part of not just building Gary's brand, but now is shepherding this entire new company with VFriends. And I adore you as a coworker and I'm so appreciative you took some time to share your insights with our listeners. Thanks for being here. Avery, thank you so much. And shout out to you. You were instrumental in VCon last year and this year. We couldn't have done it without your help and support. So thank you again. And Sam, nice to connect on the podcast. And I have you a ticket for VCon 2024. I'll be there. Andy, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. It's always so nice to have Andy on for an interview in like a professional setting because of course we know each other very well, but you know, I feel like Andy is so humble and even right now he's like giving all this credit to Gary, but you know, people underestimate just how important and critical Andy is, is, you know, shaping the strategy and then actually making it all happen, which anyone who has run a conference knows 
definitely takes a village, but it also takes strong leadership. So, so glad we had him on and got to hear his perspective on where things have been and also where they're heading. Yeah. I mean, as we both know, it's so hard to pull these things together. The amount of effort that goes into something at the scope that you guys built is tremendous. So I'm sure Andy, and I'm sure there's a giant team behind him as well that kind of deserves a lot of credit for bringing something like this to life. My real question for you is, are we expecting another Midwestern city next year? Or is there going to be a coastal opportunity for VCon number three? You know, people ask that all the time. I have no idea. I don't think Gary has made up his mind yet. But what's really cool about being in a city like Minneapolis or Indianapolis is just the main character energy of VCon. People are actually at the conference the whole time. That is where the action happens. And there's way more serendipity and just amazing alchemy of meeting people at that conference than other places. I know, at least personally, when I'm in New York or Miami or LA, you stop in at the conference, but you're really doing a million other things. And doing VCon in a place where it can really be the star of the show, I think has actually been so strategic and fun. So I assume it'll be something somewhere else that's central for both coasts. Let's put it that way. All right. So Providence, Rhode Island should not be holding its breath. I mean, maybe. Let's see. And we have to have you there next year, Sam. I'm going to be there. I'm very excited. Well, Avery, first of all, thank you for arranging that. You know, just knowing how, like, for me, I literally sleep for four days after consensus. I'm sure Andy is still just recovering from what you guys put on. It looked incredible. I I really love the stage design that you guys had done and kind of all the photo experiences that I saw. It is a real feat to be able to pull something like that together. So I just wanted to congratulate you and the team. And thanks for bringing Andy on. It's legit all Andy and his team. So he deserves all the flowers and thanks for having him. I'm so glad we got to do a little VCon recap. And Gen Z listeners, I hope to see many of you all at VCon next year. I know Andy touched on this, but it's more than just a Web3 or an NFT conference. It's about business, innovation, pop culture, all things Gary, and apparently now family. So it continues to expand and it continues to evolve. And let's get to that maximum capacity of 10,255 attendees next year. Yeah, we got to see those V kids show up. So with that, see you next time on Gen C. 